Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everyone. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that I've grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Malka Sports. Learn more about them at malkasports.com. Great guest coming up on our show this week, Ian Happ, star outfielder of the Chicago Cubs, co-host of the Compound Podcast. You'll enjoy that. He's an entrepreneur. He's also a mental health advocate. He works with our friends from Core by Hyper Ice. He's got an interesting story about his path with mental health, but just a well-rounded person. I love when we have these athletes on who are not only stars in athletics, but they're also business people. And I think you'll enjoy the conversation with Ian Happ on our show today. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. And like you said, I think uh, it's fun to have a conversation with an athlete that's not just playing ball on the field, but he has so much more going on and entrepreneurship and just, uh, you know, leading the cause for mental health. It's really fun to just see these athletes kind of grow and, and build their whole bubble of what they can do. So good interview. Yeah, and Ian Happ is on the rise. I mean, he really had a breakout season last year, 25 home runs, um, really grew into his own after the Cubs had that mass trade deadline exodus of players, whether it was Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, uh, Rizzo, like they traded away a lot of the stars and it opened up opportunities for players like Ian Happ and he made the most of it. So I think he's going to be a star for years to come with the Cubs. All right, headlines, headline number one, There's a Major League Baseball lockout looming. It could start as the clock turns from 11.59 p.m. on Wednesday to midnight on Thursday. 
The sides have been meeting, but they remain far apart. This would mark the fourth lockout since Major League Baseball and the Players Union negotiated the first CBA back in the late 1960s. The last lockout took place in 1994-95. It lasted for seven and a half months. We've said this before on this show. Major League Baseball is not considered one of the big sports anymore. The commissioner, Rob Manfred himself, called it a regional sport during the World Series. So if you're now a regional sport and you're far behind the NFL and the NBA, why in the world, with all this money, which we'll talk about in a minute, would you have a work stoppage? Figure it out. You can't miss any regular season. I don't think they will, but you got to get this figured out because if there is any kind of a a delay to the start of the regular season in 2022, it is catastrophic for the sport, which, you know, continues to have an older demographic, has had a hard time getting that younger demographic. And, you know, I think fans will have little patience for billionaire owners and millionaire players arguing over money, Griggs. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it's just awful for the fans, like a a sport that's already declining in viewership. And like like Manfred said, regional, this is just kills. It kills the fanship. It kills the viewers. We don't want to, you know, watch this kind of stuff. We want to watch baseball. So it's hard to as a fan to keep coming back to this. And like you said, how many lockets they've had four lockouts now in the last couple of years. It's just uh, it's unreal. They need to deal with it and hopefully don't lose any games. The Major League Baseball hot stove is always hot. I feel like it's even hotter this year because of the fact that a lockout is looming and these players want to get their money. They want to lock in. It's like a game of musical chairs. Let me get my seat before things start to go awry. So Max Scherzer has signed with the New York Mets three years, $130 million. He's going to make $43 million a year, the most ever for a pitcher on an annual salary basis. Corey Seager also goes from the Dodgers to the Texas Rangers, 10 years, $325 million. Reigning AL Cy Young Award winner Robbie Ray is going to the Seattle Mariners for five years, $115 million. Boy, did he pick a year to have a career year, your free agent year with Toronto. And now he parlays that into this big contract with the Mariners. Javi Baez to the Detroit Tigers, six years, $140 million. Griggs, Nearly $1.5 billion has been spent this week on Major League Baseball free agency. So there's lots of money flowing. Figure it out, Major League Baseball owners and players, because again, if you miss games next year, it's going to be catastrophic for the sport. Yeah, the money's flowing. Uh, obviously, it's there. The players are making moves. They're they're growing their salary. They're moving to better teams. They're making situations better for themselves. But it all goes to nothing if we don't have games. So got to get it figured out. All right. Speaking of money flowing, I don't know that we've ever had a week like this where we've seen more monumental shifts with college football coaches going from big programs to even bigger programs and doing it for just cartoon dollar figures. Lincoln Riley stunned Oklahoma after Oklahoma lost to Oklahoma State on Saturday night. In the wee hours of Sunday morning, he announces he's leaving for USC, where he will now lead the Trojans. Listen to the terms of this deal, reportedly. 10 years, $110 million on his contract. Griggs, USC is going to buy him a $6 million home in LA for he and his family. They have bought his homes in Oklahoma for $500,000 over asking price. And he has unlimited use of the USC PJ, the private jet. 
Now you can see why these coaches go from one school to the next. Look, all kidding aside, besides the money, I think it's a great move for Lincoln Riley because USC has the ability to be one of the best football programs in America. They're competing in the Pac-12, which is much easier than the SEC where Oklahoma is headed. And I think he has a better chance at long-term success in USC at USC in LA versus Oklahoma. And then no offense to our listeners in Oklahoma, but if it were up to me, I'd live in LA every day over Oklahoma. So if you add all those things up, you can see why Lincoln Riley did it. But the thing I don't believe Griggs is that this was negotiated last second, wee hours of the night You have university presidents, you have athletic directors, you have agents who have to sign off on all of this stuff to think that they just picked up the phone to him after the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State game and said, hey, you want to come to USC? What's your dollar figure? And it got done in a matter of hours is ludicrous. Oh, yeah. This has been in the works for who knows how long behind the scenes. And like you said, it's a huge deal. A 10-year contract, the house buying, all this stuff. This takes time. So this has been in the works. He he knew he was making this move. I agree with you. I think it's a good move. And I'd rather live in sunny LA too, especially in a nice $6 million mansion on a hill somewhere. But uh, good move for him. I think it's a good coach for USC. Hopefully they can finally turn things around and keep a coach for longer than a season or two. And uh, he can outlive that contract and, and get some wins down there in Cali. Yeah, and I think he's going to recruit really well there. They've had a hard time keeping the California kids in California, and I think they're going to be able to do that now. So that makes the Pac-12 an even stronger conference. And again, with Oklahoma headed to the SEC reportedly in 2024, I think Lincoln Riley gets out while he was able to maximize his value with USC, and it's a good move for him. Now, if you think that's a big move, Brian Kelly... Formerly the head coach at Notre Dame said, hold my beer. He supposedly just, you know, hours after uh, the weekend's games, got on the phone with LSU and made a deal with them. Wink, wink. His contract, Griggs, is a reported 10-year contract, $15 million per year when you add in incentives and bonuses and things like that. That would make him the second highest paid coach in any sport in America, only behind New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick. So you would wonder, why is he leaving Notre Dame? We just talked about Lincoln Riley not wanting to go to the SEC. Brian Kelly is leaving Notre Dame an independent for a school LSU that plays in the SEC. And you're going to have to compete against Alabama and Georgia and Oklahoma, and Texas, and Texas A&M, and the list goes on and on. I guess he's thinking it's a money grab. And maybe he you know, was done at Notre Dame where he's been for a long time and figured he couldn't be any more successful there than he already has been. Maybe he reached the ceiling there. But it's an odd move because a lot of people think Notre Dame is the best head football coach job in America. It's an independent school, so you're not competing against these mega conferences like the SEC, and now he's going to LSU. So we'll see what he can do there, but it's a guaranteed contract. He's getting a ton of money. He had always said if you know the fairy godmother came around and dropped a ton of cash in his lap, maybe he'd think about losing, or leaving Notre Dame. Well, I guess the fairy godmother came around, Griggs. I guess $15 million is the ticket to, uh, to make the jump from Notre Dame. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, like you said, 
SEC. Now he's he's going to be under a microscope. I mean, he has to compete. He has to win games. LSU's been on the decline after, after a couple last years, and he's going to have to show up and win some games. But man, fifteen million a year—that's crazy. Highest paid coach in America behind Belichick. Wow. Yeah. So those are two seismic coaching moves. Now you've got openings at Notre Dame. That'll be a hotly contested job, and Oklahoma. And you know, even though they're going to head to the SEC, that's still a really good job. So, and then coaches are going to leave where they are to go to uh, those jobs. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. It's kind of the domino effect, but uh, we will watch. But here's the bottom line, Griggs. When anyone says, oh, it's amateur athletics, we don't have any money. I saw Sonny Dykes, the new TCU coach, flying into a stadium in a helicopter. I saw Lincoln Riley getting off the USC PJ with his family, arriving in LA. And, you know, it's just crazy the amounts of money that exists if you want one of these coaches. And we just gave you some of the the salary figures and the other things they can do, like buy you a house and, and stuff like that. So it's not amateur athletics. There is every bit as much money in college football and basketball as there is in pro sports. And we're seeing it. And these coaches are making just as much as the pro coaches make even more in some cases. And uh, it's, it's reached, I would say alarming levels um, when these coaches can do this and they can recruit and make promises to the kids, but then, Oh, you know what? I'm going to leave right before the bowl game when Notre Dame may be competing in the college football playoff, or, uh, you know, I'm going to leave right before this, that, or the other. It's just, there's a different set of rules for the coaches than there is for the players. The coaches also can make a ton of money while the players can't get paid. It needs to change because this is like, I feel like this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, not to mention these coaches, you know, go out and rec- recruit players and families sign on things to send their kids to these, you know, to play for these universities and these coaches. And then, oh, they just leave the next day. And then all of a sudden they're not with playing with the coach they got recruited by. So I think that's a dagger, too, for a lot of these kids that want to go play for any of these big name coaches. And they get signed and they get recruited and all this. And then coach takes off. It's not right. Yeah. Our next headline, Tiger Woods made one of his first public appearances, his first press conference since his car accident earlier in the year. So great to see him uh, seemingly healthy. Obviously, he's still got a recovery ahead. But he essentially said, look, I may come back and play some golf, but I'm never going to play full time again. I'll pick and choose the tournament I play in. And, you know, that's going to be about it. And I tweeted out this week, people need to leave Tiger alone. Tiger Woods has been in a fishbowl since he was two years old and he was on the Mike Douglas show. Remember he was a little kid and he hit the ball with his dad and you know, he's been in a fishbowl since then. Let him be a dad. Let him be a person. Let him, you know, make appearances. Let him be an ambassador for golf. The old tiger is never going to be there again. He's not going to go win majors again. And that's okay. When you cheat death, you would think it changes your perspective. All these people are tweeting out and, reporting, oh gosh, Tiger seems so different. Yeah, if you cheated death, wouldn't you look at life differently after that? If you don't, then you're not paying attention. But I think that's what Tiger has done. So good for him for being back and around golf. If he plays again in the future, great. If he doesn't, let him be an ambassador. Let him be a dad. Let him be a person. Like he's already given us historic moments on the golf course and throughout his career. That's enough. I think people are being selfish. They're like, I want to see him win more majors. And I want to see this and that. And it's great to root for his success, 
But I think there's also a line of just like too much. And when I see him doing these press conferences and I see all these people asking him about what kind of golf schedule he's going to have, he could have died earlier this year. He's lucky to be walking. He's lucky to be able to swing a golf club at all. He's lucky to be around his kids and his family. Let the guy just be a human being. He has been in the fishbowl forever. If you haven't seen the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO, I strongly suggest you watch it. It'll give you a great insight into how Tiger became Tiger and the fishbowl that he's been living in and the pressure he's had his whole life. Just let him live his life. So that's my my tangent on Tiger Woods, Griggs. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think uh, these iconic worldwide athletes, there's not a ton of them, you know, the Kobe's and the Tigers and the LeBron's where they literally from the age of, you know, like you said, two years old and on up, they've always been in the in the fishbowl, the microscope. They, everybody's watching them. So I think, like you said, I, I think I would be the same way. Like, let me disappear now for a while. Let me go be with my family and live in some island for a couple of years. And then I'll come back and maybe, you know, hit the, hit the sticks a little bit, do a little, uh, ambassador stuff and and uh, man i just i think you're right on i think he probably wants to just disappear and be with the family yeah and and again come to the masters and come to the u.s open come to the majors you know even if you're just an honorary starter great but don't expect tiger is gonna win another major or win another tournament that's unfair expectations of him again there's a there's a chance he could have never walked again so the fact that he's able to walk again and just be around these tournaments and his family and friends and sponsors. Like that's a great thing. And we should be satisfied with that. All right. Last headline of the week, uh, LeBron James can now say he is the part owner of an NHL team. Why? Because LeBron James is part of the Fenway sports group. And this week they purchased the Pittsburgh Penguins of the NHL for $900 million. So I don't know that LeBron's going to be making any hockey decisions anytime soon, but his portfolio grows and he's now part owner of an NHL team, Griggs. Yeah, I mean, LeBron's just got so much fun money and and connections and the ability to, you know, meet people and be involved in these organizations. It's a no-brainer for him. I mean, keep growing that portfolio. It's going to be huge and continue to get bigger after he's off the court, too. So, obviously, smart moves for LeBron. He's uh, involved in so many avenues. He's doing film stuff, too. I mean, yeah, he, he's going to be just fine after hoops. All right, coming up next, if you haven't heard of Ian Happ, you will remember him after this interview. Great baseball player. Again, breakout season with the Cubs this past year, 25 home runs. He is a really smart business person, uh, has great things to say about mental health. He's a podcast host. He's an entrepreneur. He's a coffee drinker. He's a well-rounded guy. Ian Happ coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger here. In addition to hosting Sports Business Radio, I'm also the co-founder of the consulting firm Everything is on the Record. Since 2007, we've been working with CEOs, corporate spokespeople, pro sports team owners, athletic directors, elite athletes, and coaches to help them navigate the tricky media and social media landscape. My business partner is Rick Buecher of Fox Sports. As part of a new partnership with e-learning platform Open Sesame, we are now offering many of our teachings via on-demand courses available on video. Courses include presenting your best self in a video meeting. Your personal brand is connected to your employer's brand. Pause before you post, text, and email. And scrubbing your social media. To take any of our insightful video courses on demand, visit OpenSesame.com 
and type in the words, everything is on the record in the search. That's opensesame.com. To learn more about how we can provide a customized training session for your organization, visit everythingisontherecord.com. That's everythingisontherecord.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs selected Happ in the first round of the 2015 Major League Baseball draft. He made his Major League Baseball debut in 2017. He's the host of the Compound podcast, part of the John Boy Media Network, which Happ is invested in. You can follow him on Twitter at IHAP underscore one. Ian, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Let's start with talking about your podcast. I've had lots of athletes on in the last couple of years who have started podcasts. Why did you start a podcast? And tell us a little bit about it. I've listened and I really like it. Thank you. Yeah, it was something that was kind of born um, as we were shut down by the pandemic last spring. You know, the, the NBA got shut down and um, you know, baseball got shut down kind of one, two weeks before the start of our season. So I was already in Arizona. Um, didn't We didn't know exactly when we'd start back up. Kind of at first, they told us, hey, hang out. It'll be a week, maybe two, and then we'll see what happens. And of course, we don't end up playing again until uh, July. So I was staying in Arizona um, at a house. I had plenty of space. And so I invited three guys to live with me who I had played with um, the year prior in the minor leagues. Uh, and so we were all in this house and the, the world and the sports world was started for content. So I kind of forced these guys. I said, look, we're going to try to do a podcast. We're going to see how it goes. Um, and we're going to try to provide some content and just kind of talk about what we're doing right now, our experiences, um, you know, our baseball lives, try to interview some people and kind of give that behind the curtain uh, look. It had always been something that, that I was interested in, trying to talk to my teammates, my friends, uh, as people, not just as kind of a zoo animal athlete uh, that everybody looks at and gets to see what they do for three hours a day, but but somebody who's a real person that has a family that has interest, kind of dive into that. Um, and like I said, kind of peel behind the curtain. And, and it, it's been awesome. We're sneaking up on, uh, we'll probably record tonight, maybe episode 85, 86, somewhere in there. So we've been been going strong and it's been a lot of fun just to see the the fan reaction and how much people have enjoyed it. Good for you. The consistency of doing it is, you know, the big thing. There's so many podcasts that start, but then they just go away. And I love the consistency of yours. It comes out every Tuesday, right? Yep. Every Tuesday, we try to record either Sunday or Monday night, and it comes out every Tuesday. It's definitely been uh, a difficult thing uh, during the season. Uh, it gets a little tough sometimes, with especially with the three of us that do the podcast together. We were all in different places. My buddy Zach Short was with the Tigers. Um, up and down. So he was between Detroit and Toledo. And then Dakota, I guess, was in, in Iowa with our AAA team with the Cubs. And I, I of course, was in Chicago. So three three guys traveling, different schedules, different off days, different time zones. Uh, so coordinating that was tough. We didn't always during the season get it out perfect on Tuesday. Um, but we tried to do our best and kind of let the fans know when, when we were going to miss. And there's a human element to that, too. It's kind of, hey, Sorry, we're, we stink, but uh, it'll be out at some point. <laughs> when you go to some of your teammates or friends in, in baseball and ask them to come on your podcast, are they pretty willing? Or are they like, yeah, I don't know? Yeah, for the most part, guys are pretty willing because um, there's just so many 
media sources, landscapes that it's easy for, you know, guys to trust us. It's easy to say, Hey, we're not going to make you look stupid. We're not going to ask you any questions that are too hard. If there's anything you don't like, we're going to cut it. Um, we just want to give that kind of behind the scenes look and let guys talk about what they want to talk about. You know, if a guy has a product that he's really pumped up about that he's endorsing, if the guy has something that's going on in his life, he wants to talk about, um, if there's something a guy just wants to get off his chest or or just he wants people to kind of know his interests. I think we try to do a good job of, of talking about those. Honestly, with the um, schedule during the season, it was difficult to get guys on because there's just such a demand on your time. You didn't want to ask uh, a friend for a half hour or an hour in the middle of the season. So that was something I thought going into it, it would be easier to have uh, guys on. Um, but at some point you just, you don't want to bother, um, you want to bother guys. So we, we've, we've kind of done more of recapping or talking amongst ourselves about our experiences than we have guests, but it's always fun. Um, when you get somebody on and able to kind of chat, we had Josh Donaldson on, um, not too long ago, a couple of weeks. And I think we could have talked to him for three or four hours <laughs> if, if we had the format. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's a great thing about podcasting is you can just go on forever if you want, or you can, you know, record three or four hours and break it up into a few different podcasts, but there's no time constraints this started as a radio show and you've got to take a break every 10 or 15 minutes and i hated it because if you have someone who wants to go beyond the boundaries of what radio can provide i wanted to be able to do that so i think that is the good thing about podcasting yeah and it's been exceptional for us just you know depending on the week depending on uh how much we have to talk about you know especially if there's a time constraint for us early on there was some there was some 25 30 minute episodes we thought that that was where we needed to be to be more consumable. Um, and then we've kind of, people have enjoyed us. We've built our audience base to people who are willing to listen. So our typical is probably 35 to 45, but like Josh is a great example. We had him on and we did like an hour 20 uh, nonstop. So it was just being able to, to have the flexibility to do that, to not have to cut somebody off uh, and to let us uh, kind of get their complete thoughts out there. So when you joined us on the sports PR summit, uh, virtual panel last week about mental health. And thank you again for doing that. It's such an important conversation. And we'll get into that further in this conversation. But one of the things I said to you is if I could pick one venue to play in, and all of baseball is my home field, it would be Wrigley field. So tell our listeners, what is it like going to Wrigley field and suiting up and, and getting to play in such a historic venue on a regular basis? Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. I, Dude, I didn't realize it at the time when I got drafted how amazing it was going to be. Um, and even the first time I was out there, it, I it wasn't with fans. Like it, it wasn't a state. I was out there for a, a pre-draft workout. It, it was beautiful, but I didn't really realize how special it was going to be. Then when I finally, you know, I got called up in 2017 and was was there. Um, and you step on the field and you just feel this presence. It has its own um kind of life where you you can feel that Babe Ruth played there and called his shot. You can feel Artie Banks and Ron Santo and Ryan Sandberg. You can feel all of the memories and all the history. Uh and and the fan base is just so exceptional because it can be uh one o'clock on a Tuesday and there's forty thousand people there in July uh screaming and being excited for baseball. 
Uh, and it just does, it feels different than anywhere else. Uh, it, it's so fortunate to be able to play there every day um, and, and call that home. Uh, and, and it's really, really cool for me now um, when I'm in Chicago during the off season uh, to be able to go down there and work out and kind of have free reign of that place. It's trying not to take it for granted because <laughs> it's not a bad place to call your office. Oh my gosh. I think it's the best office. One of the best offices in all of sports. So last year, Ian, you really caught fire. It's like something clicked with you. You hit 16 of your career high 25 home runs, I think after July 27th. So your final 60 games, it was like you were just in a zone and dialed in and playing some of the best baseball of your career. What clicked for you? Uh, you know, there was a lot of different things that went on. We, we had a big shakeup on the teams. Yeah. Personnel. Um, I, I got a chance to play every day down the stretch. Um, and then, there's just a lot of a lot of mindset change. Um, getting into a place where I, I let myself go. I stopped worrying about the stats. Stopped worrying about the numbers because there was there was a real chance, um, kind of in the middle of the year that 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 could have been by far the worst season of my career. Uh, and so being able to kind of let that go and say, look, if that's what's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. Can't fight um, the first four months of the season. Can't change it. Um, and being able to kind of loosen myself up to just go out and play. Um, go and take it one day at a time and really, really be present. Um, that, that helped me to just kind of start getting headed in the right direction and build that confidence uh, and then be able to let it go from there. The good news is, like you said, is you got to play more after the shakeup. But the bad news is you lost a lot of friends and, and iconic pieces of that team. And, you know, as someone who grew up a Cubs fan and was so excited when the team won the World Series a few years ago, I was sad to see some of the core pieces of that team traded, but what is it like when you're in a locker room and it's trade deadline? And honestly, I can't remember a baseball trade deadline where a team has kind of remade themselves more than the Cubs did at this last trade deadline. It was a crazy deadline for a lot of reasons. And one of those was because 2020 there, there wasn't that in 2020, you know, with the short season, there was a little trade deadline, but it was more, um, nobody wanted to give away a ton of pieces. There was a ton of action in 2020 and everybody was kind of hoarding because the financial situations were so um, uh, just just uncertain. And so it was kind of all packed into 2021 where everybody was moving around money, not only players, but money. Uh, and then it became for us just this perfect storm of the situation we were in as a team, our record, uh, kind of a, a 11 game losing streak just a couple of weeks prior. Uh, and then all of these guys that were on one year deals, um, with uncertain futures in the Cubs uniform. And I tried to prepare myself, um, but we had never been through it before. We had always been adding at the deadline, you know, my first four years. Mm-hmm. So, um, to actually go through the opposite. Um, and, and be sellers, I didn't realize how emotional it would be. I didn't, <laughs> I knew, you know, playing these guys for five, six years, getting so close, um, you know, some of my best friends in the world got traded, uh, but I didn't realize how much, um, you know, you would think back to five years of memories to my, my for my debut um, in St. Louis hitting between uh, Schwab and Riz and KB and like warming up with those guys out there. Like my first spring training, like you start thinking back to these memories. Uh, and when I got called up, you know, it was, it was such a cool thing for me to be playing with those guys. Um, you're kind of playing with your baseball cards, you know, I always say that yeah. like 
John Lester and John Lackey and Anthony Rizzo and Craig Kimbrell. Like I'm playing with dudes who I played video games as their player or collected their baseball card. And then they become friends and you kind of go through this whole emotional journey that day uh, of some of the things that had happened. Um, and it was, it was, it was a crazy, crazy time, but um, you know, then being able to watch those guys succeed in other uniforms and cheer for them and have friends across the league now um, was, was a pretty cool experience on the back end of that as well. Dig in on that a little bit more. What is that like when you have had baseball cards or played video games of some of these guys and then you're their teammate. How do you go from, wow, I really admired these guys to, you know what? I got to act like I belong here and, and fit right in and, and not fan out here a little bit. Cause uh, they need my help to win. That's the, yeah, that's the maturation process. That's it. You kind of go from, I think that's what ties back to the podcast. It's what we're trying to give fans. You know, mm-hmm. you're never going to get to a point where you know you see John Lester on the street and you go, oh, "I feel like I really know that guy." But we're trying to get a little bit closer to these are you know once you're in the same room, once you once you share stories, once you hang out and bond over over different things. You know, John and I and Riz like bond over golf and wine, and we talk about. No, they're, they're just you're just normal people. You're just talking about uh, shared interest, um, and it's pretty cool to get to hear their stories of the game. It's pretty cool to get to hear the things that they have done. But at the same time, um, you know, once, once you share uh, 200 straight days in a locker room together, uh, you get pretty close to those people and get to know them pretty well. Get to know their families, um, and that's kind of the most special part of the entire thing is being able to, you know, know John Lester's three kids and, and when their birthdays are, and and those are like those are you know, the, the real moments of when uh, you really feel that, that connection and that, that special um, part of this game. Yeah, that's fantastic stuff. I want to talk to you a little bit about the state of Major League Baseball because I've heard you guys talk about it on the Compound podcast. So, you know, you've got this potential lockout looming. Um, you know, I've heard you guys talk about the popularity of the game and when games should be starting, like the World Series. And just as a player... What do you think the state of baseball looks like right now? Let's start with, do you think there's going to be a lockout? We'll see. We'll see. I think there's going to be, there's going to be a lot that happens in the Mm -hmm. next two weeks. Yeah. We're on, I had a, I had a call earlier today. Um, We're on calls constantly. Um, We're we're working on it. I could tell you that. Um, It's just, there's a lot of pieces that, you know, the pandemic derailed some things. There was a lot of, um, having to worry about the 2020 season and then 2021 season, how that was going to start. And then all of the things that come along with playing a season in the midst of a pandemic. So uh, a lot of the actual collective bargaining negotiations were tabled to deal with present issues. And now we're trying to, we're trying to play catch up a little bit, but I can say that it, it's just, I've never been through one of these before. This will be my first, the last agreement was done right before I, I was called up, but it, it is all of the things can be close, but getting any, every single part of this thing to the finish line uh, is difficult. And I know that the thing that's talked about the most in the media is probably the core economics of, of you know, how does free agency work? How does arbitration work? How do guys get paid? Um, the luxury tax, the, the um, you know, how all of the teams and their revenue share, like those are the things that are talked about the most in the media, but there are so 
many more things that go into this agreement. It is so detailed. It is every single part from drug testing to um, how uh, disputes are handled to the entire process of this collective bargaining. Uh, if it's, it's been eye-opening for me. I knew a lot. I'm, their, I'm our team rep, and I've been very involved with mm. the, the Players Association for since I got called up. But uh, it, it's amazing how many little things go into this and how, how everything has to come together. Um, kind of uh, before that date, so we'll see. I think I think there's, like I said, that those kind of last four or five days, maybe seven days, though there'll, there'll be a lot that happens. Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, has said that baseball is becoming more and more of a regional sport. I look at a brand like the Cubs, and I think there's Cubs fans all over the country, not just in Chicago or in the Midwest. Do you think baseball's become more of a regional sport? Should there be some realignment? Like, should the Cubs and the White Sox be in the same division so they can play more games against each other? If you were going to reshape this, uh, how would you reshape it? I, you know, I, it's very interesting. I, I think there's there's two parts that I think one, baseball was a regional sport, probably the most it's ever been you know early on because you read your local paper you got your local television station you know you listened to your local radio you weren't listening you weren't being you couldn't watch the angels play if you lived in new york and you couldn't you know the only reason that the cubs and the braves have such great fan bases is because they were nationally available every day right wgn and then um with you know tbs uh and, and the braves so the baseball is as national as it's ever been. I, in my opinion, with all of the games that are televised with MLB network, with Sunday night baseball, um, the ratings are as good as they've ever been. There's more podcasts and more separate media about baseball than there's ever been. Um, and, and, and I think with sports betting, I think sports betting is making it, uh, super national because you have, Got people from all over the country, you know, betting on different games, betting on different players, being able to participate and be a part of the action. Um, I do think there are some some uh, as far as like knowing individual players. I think it can be very regional. I think you know I don't know that there's a ton of San Diego Padres fans that know who I am or vice versa, um, but. The, the Cubs fan base, I will tell you, is about as national as it gets. Yeah. And I, I know as, as a player for the Cubs, you're super thankful for that. And when we travel and how much people care, I, I do think it would be interesting to explore um, maybe some realignment. I think it probably makes sense for travel. I think it makes sense for you know, the fans would love for the Cubs and White Sox to play more often. I think the fans would love for Kansas City to play St. Louis and, and for the New York teams to play each other more. Uh, and I think it makes a lot of sense for for travel to not have you know, Seattle have to go to uh, Texas uh, a bunch of times, and and that you know the the AL West and what that division looks like just from a travel perspective is super tough. So I think it might make sense to look into some sort of realignment, um, but in no means, in no way, do I think that this game is is getting more regional. I think if anything, it's getting less regional. You mentioned something about the individual players themselves. I look at like you know, the two stars on the Angels, Trout and Otani. And I wonder how many people in New York or Philadelphia or Boston or D.C. stay up till 1030 at night to watch the start of an Angels game. How many people on the East Coast really know, you know, the Dodgers? And, and 
what their players are all about. It's just interesting. And I know that exists in every sport. You know, LeBron James is in the, in the West coast with the Lakers and maybe people aren't staying up to, to watch Laker games. But do you think there's anything that can be done to engage fans with some of the best players in the game who play on the West coast after a lot of people have already gone to sleep? Yeah, I think there's, I think it's important for us to, to understand that and to try to combat it with day games with, Hmm. Hey, let's make, let's make sure that the, that LA is playing some one o'clock games uh, on Saturday. So that when, when people are out at the bar, you know, maybe starting happy hour four or five o'clock that they get to see Mike Trout play. Let's make sure that if somebody wants to sit down on Saturday night and watch a baseball game, that, uh, you know, a couple times a month, Mike Trout's available. Let's make sure that when he's in New York, when they're playing the Yankees, when they're playing Boston, those games are televised and on national television. I, I think that you have to understand who your stars are and you have to make sure that they're marketed well. Like that's number one is making sure that these players are marketing, getting marketed well and their talent and ability is being shown because it's so incredible. Um, when you get to watch this in person every day, like when I get to play against Trout in spring training, I, I walk away from that game after three innings going like, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and so making sure that that that's highlighted, like, let's tell people how good this guy is. Let's tell the story. Let's show stats uh, that, that make it obvious how good this guy is because he's a generational talent, maybe the best we've ever seen. Uh, and everybody should know who he is and what he's doing. Yeah, and I feel like honestly, so you mentioned about your podcast, how you're helping fans know the the person a little bit more. I couldn't tell you three things about Mike Trout personally. You know, I know he's a great baseball player. I don't know anything about him. And it's not like he just came into the league, and I think that's bad for baseball. May, you know, and I pay attention to this stuff for a living. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, and it, it's amazing that, you know, you want to be able to tell everybody's story. You want to be able to kind of peek behind the curtain. Uh, and give fans not only in their their regional market, but in, on a national sense, like what these guys are doing, what they're about. Especially once guys have five, six, seven years in the league, uh, you want people to be able to have spent that time getting to know that player. Uh, and I think we can all relate to you know somebody that when you're you grow up in a city like I grew up in Pittsburgh, and so I can remember you know Jack Wilson as the shortstop and and Jason Kendall and, and an outfield that had Nigel Morgan and Lasting's Millage out there like you you start to remember uh you know, Freddie Sanchez winning the batting title like everybody has where they grew up some players mm-hmm. that take them back to their childhood and that they but why, why can't we do that on a more national sense why can't we give um or at least that the regional sense let people know who these guys are and what they what they like to do and what they're interested in I want to talk to you a little bit about mental health. We met through your partnership with Hyper Ice, and you are doing great things to raise awareness for mental health, not only for athletes, but for everyone. Um, you shared with us at Sports PR Summit that you lost your father to brain cancer in 2015 at the age of 58. Tell us a little bit about how the conversation has shifted because, you know, in five years ago, people weren't coming out and talking about mental health because it was seen as like a sign of weakness. Now I think it's great. Naomi Osaka and, you know, Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and people like you are coming out and talking about that. How has that narrative changed? Uh, yeah, we talked about this a lot um, with, with Hyper Ice and Core is actually how I got in with Hyper Ice because they were, of course, recently acquired by Hyper right. Ice and, and, 
the core is this meditation ball um, that helps you kind of guides you through meditations. It's a physical tool. It gives feedback. Um, and, and talking about some mental health, there, there's more than just reactionary mental health. There's, there's proactive, um, you know, basically the, the way that you would prepare your body every day, you know, as an athlete, you care so much about your physical health, you know, how your body is moving, making sure that you're limber, making sure that you're strong, making sure that you have the, the strength that it takes to play your individual sport. But we, we don't think as much about uh, the mental health, about training your mind. Um, and that's something that I, I was always um, growing up really aware of baseball's the mental side of the game of baseball. And that was dealing with failure. And that was, um, you know, breathing in between pitches and making sure you had a routine. But then there's also the part of, of mental health that is everyday stuff. Um, you know, making sure that you're in the present and what that means, how the, the, the future and the past affect you. Um, and so it's something that when I lost my father, uh, as much as I thought that I had prepared myself um, mentally to play professional baseball, I could not have ever predicted you know, losing losing a parent at that age and then what that would do to me from a mental standpoint. So my brother actually recommended that I start meditating, um, start using Headspace and, and start meditating kind of my first year of pro ball. Um, and it was a complete game changer to help me be present, to help me focus myself every day and get through um, what was a super difficult time in my life, um, losing a parent. And then something that I've continued, I've continued to try to seek out better ways um, to work on my mental health and partnership with core um, and, and just continuing to make it a part of my daily routine. Uh, and the reason that I speak about it so openly is because the impact it's had on my life. But I also think uh, everybody goes through these struggles, um, whether it's in, you're a professional athlete or you're, you're working a nine to five. There's things that come up in your life. Um, that are difficult to deal with and having that practice of mental health every day to, to help you get through those things is just going to make um, your, your life you know, not necessarily always easier, but at least more manageable. Yeah, I tip my hat to you for, for speaking about this and for being you know so open about it. I do have the Hyperice Core meditation device and I use it and it certainly helped me a lot. And, uh, you know, I just think you're doing great work in that, in that area. So great job. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's an important thing that I think athletes come out and talk about it and make, make kind of help break that stigma, um, and, and make it an acceptable thing to talk about because no one's shying away from talking about how much they're, they're lifting in the weight room. So why should we shy away from talking about how much we're, we're meditating? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. All right. Before I let you go, um, I read something that are you working with connect roasters and you like develop quarantine coffee uh tell yeah. us about that because i thought that was pretty clever and unique yeah this is one of the most exciting um things for me my, my brother and i uh, we we work together um on the investment side uh and we've been always been huge uh coffee lovers so um this was again during the the shutdown after spring training got shut down i was in Arizona. i was on twitter and i saw um, this coffee company uh, from just from Bourbonnet, Illinois, which is about 45 minutes outside Chicago, uh, with really cool packaging and this good branding. It's like, oh, let me let me reach out to them. And I reached out and said, hey, you know, I'm in Arizona. I'm stuck without any good coffee. Is there any way you guys could send me a couple bags? And they, within two days, coffee was there, three different bags. 
I tried this stuff. I went out and bought a pour over kit because I'd done pour over. And I went out and bought the whole thing and started doing pour over. I was, this is unbelievable. <laughs> and so I, I reached out to the founder and kind of pitched him this idea of quarantine coffee. They were already doing a give back. Um, where they were giving a dollar per pound roasted to the communities where they were sourcing the actual coffee from the beans uh, and helping with you know schools and, and building um, different things in the community, whether it was Guatemala or Nicaragua or different places. So I knew they had that that charitable component. And I reached out and said, hey, what what if we did a coffee called Quarantine Coffee and, and we did um, a give back to a couple organizations in Chicago to help with pandemic relief. So we, the Caleb, the founder was on board right away. He loved it. Uh, we had the packaging done in two weeks. We connected with save the children and with the food bank in Chicago. Um, and we were giving $3 uh, for every $15 bag to COVID relief. It was a, an awesome project. And uh, we, we, you know, we worked together so well that I invested in the company. Um, and so we're in the middle of kind of, we just released a uh, cold brew. Um, we're working on our first physical location. Uh, we're doing kind of a rebrand and restructuring so that each different um, coffee roast will have its own charitable component. So if you want to um, support specifically the food bank, you can buy one specific roast if you want to specifically support Save the Children, a different one. Uh, we're so excited about it, but the coolest part is it's unbelievable coffee, uh, hmm. and and we're just we're just thrilled with how it's going. Uh, we did a um, it was called the Home Run Club this year, where every time I hit a home run, there was a subscription, and every time I hit a home run, if you're a part of the club, you got five dollars. Uh, dinger dollars to the website to to go buy whether for merchandise or more coffee to give away and so we, we've had a blast and uh, i'm looking forward to just continuing the growth of the company it's been a fun year and uh, i think next year is going to be even better look at you with connect roasters and john boy media you're going to be on shark tank pretty soon that's the goal man that will be unbelievable i'll try to play for another 10 years or so and then see if i can see if i can make the leap over there That'd be great. That's has that always been something that has interested you, the business side? I mean, you mentioned you're the player rep for the Cubs. You're investing in these companies. It seems like you have a pretty sharp business mind as well. It's something I've always been passionate about um, for a few different reasons. I mean, I, I did. I went to school for finance. Um, I was in the honors college at Cincinnati, and it was something that was really important to me. Um, but my brother is six years older. Uh, uh, he was a trader. Uh, currency trader in Chicago is Notre Dame MBA. And then um, one of the coolest things um, in my professional career has been being able to work together on the business side. And you know, we've done a ton of, of investing together. Um, we, we look at all of our deals um, as kind of a team and, and we try to get really creative. I think that that's kind of been the most exciting part. Um, and, you know, we're trying to build something where athletes can invest alongside of you know, family office clients, they can, they can get the same access, um, and the same diligence. And I think that's something that we're really excited about, but trying to put together a platform where, where athletes can kind of put their deals together and then decide as a group if, if, what makes sense and, and, and what interests them. Because as athletes, you get presented a lot of things, but it's also, it's difficult to understand or to know, um, what deals are good and what deals are probably not exactly what you should be getting into. So it's, there's, it's been really cool in the last five years or so to see um, 
all the talk around athlete investing and have athlete investing go from a place where, you know, athletes were doing everything wrong, going broke, making horrible decisions, spending their money in terrible ways to some really intelligent athlete investors that are in the venture world, you know, the Kevin Durant and Steph Curry's and LeBron James. And, and it can be done on a smaller scale. You know, it can be done uh, by guys that aren't superstars that aren't making uh, as much money as those guys are just, just in a smaller fashion. That's kind of what, we're trying to build out. It's been a pretty fun thing to be a part of. Ian Happ, outfielder of the Chicago Cubs, host of the Compound Podcast, part of the John Boy Media Network. You can follow him on Twitter at IHAP. That's Hap with two Ps, underscore one, the number one. Ian, thank you so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. I love your story. I love what you're doing out there. And, you know, go Cubs. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. We've collaborated with our friends at Parish Project to create high-quality sports business radio clothing, including hoodies, long-sleeve T-shirts, and short-sleeve T-shirts. Each item comes in five different colors and a variety of sizes. These items are super comfortable, and you can wear them on Zoom calls, while working out, or when you're lounging around the house. Sports Business Radio has loyal listeners around the world. We'd love for you to post a picture rocking your Sports Business Radio gear. Tag us on Instagram or Twitter if you post. Get your official Sports Business Radio gear by going online to parishproject.com. That's parishproject.com. P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.